0: Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreal.com. And we are back talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And joining us on the show today... Is Robert Black from the Michael Myers Minute? Hello. How you doing, Robert? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. So you are uh, familiar with the movie by minute format. You're doing it with uh, Halloween right now, and uh, yes. And then you have the—I guess you could say—an experimental movies by minute, yeah, an podcast. experimental
1: <laughs> show with Dave made a Maze with lots of you all recording episodes and. Not knowing what's going on.
0: It's a It was a crazy experiment, and uh, Pete and I had a really fun time on it. So uh, everybody should check that one out. Check out the movie Dave Made a Maze, and then tune into that podcast. It's a fun one. Yeah. But today, we are talking about Iron Man, and we are digging into Minute 11, which starts with Jarvis reprimanding Christine for touching his panels, <laughs> and ends with Pepper entering Tony's hallowed workshop. So... Robert, what's your background with Iron Man? Did you know who all these characters were before you walked into this film, or was this like, uh, uh, were you a blank slate and you walked in on on this not knowing any of this?
1: I never read Iron Man regularly when I read comic books, but I did around the time of like Infinity Crusade. I know I picked up everything, Uh and so I had read a bit of all the Marvel titles, and so I knew stuff about Tony Stark and like when his alcoholism storyline happened and different things. Like, I noticed people reporting that because i have a lot of nerdy friends but i didn't know much about like pepper or happy or any of the other characters when the movie came up
0: yeah i i didn't i knew nothing about this world and so these characters were all kind of new for me as i walked into it and um uh, but i have since i've read a lot of of the uh the comics now trying to get a better handle on the history of all of them and i've been really enjoying it there's a lot of interesting story threads in there And uh, it's just neat to see kind of how things unfolded. Um, Pepper Potts, uh, she did appear actually for the first time in the same issue as Happy Hogan, which was Tales of Suspense number 45 in September 1963. Oh, wow. Early. Her name is actually Virginia Potts, but she was nicknamed Pepper because of her freckles and her red hair. What's funny about her is that she initially was totally, totally infatuated with Tony and uh, in the issue when, uh, you know, he basically hires her and hires Happy in the same issue. Okay. And when Tony introduces her to Happy, her reaction is, oh, no, with eligible bachelors as scarce around here as dinosaurs, you hire a battle-scarred ex-pug. <laughs> it couldn't be a Rock Hudson. No, he has to look like Bella Lugosi. 1960s thought <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> right, exactly. And then for Tony, because um, uh, to- uh, Happy says something about how, how uh, Tony makes her ticker go thump and she says, only he doesn't know I'm alive, but someday he will. And then he'll give up all his actresses and debutantes and I'll become Mrs. Anthony Stark. Oh, wow. <laughs> it was definitely of its time, I guess you could oh, say. Yeah. I mean, it's it was so bad that they even gave her her own pinup page in Tales of Suspense, <laughs> uh, issue 55. Uh, but yes, this is the minute where we do meet Pepper Potts, yeah. played by Gwyneth Paltrow. A lot less passive and girly yes very different than the comic book version of her (laughs) you know what's funny in the comics she actually ends up marrying happy hogan oh i didn't know that she's infatuated with tony for a very long time and then uh finally i and i can't remember what it is that uh that causes her to uh change her tune but uh she ends up falling for happy and uh, they get married in i think tales of suspense 91 when was this if, what, 45 was in 63. A few years later. Yeah. So it was like um, you know a few years later. So it was still still in the 60s. Whereas Christine, as we, we talked about when we first met her, she was uh, introduced in a much later episode. She was a, a much newer character. But Pepper has been around for a long time. What do you think of these two, Christine and Pepper and their little interaction that we get here?
1: I like Pepper. I like Christine here, actually, because she... I was looking at a copy of the script and she's more uh, direct than in the script. She treats Pepper more like a just like a lowly secretary when here, when she talks about her doing the laundry, it's more like she's being like a sarcastic, like she's being rude on purpose. Where before it just seemed like she actually thought in the script that Pepper was just a little assistant. And it doesn't do anything. And so here she seems more complicated as well.
0: It's, it, and it's an interesting, I, I like the subtext in this scene. I think it gives a little more fight to Pepper. And I like that about uh, the way that, that uh, Pepper reacts to Christine when she comes over. And I mean, it's a fantastic interaction that they have here. You must be the famous Pepper Potts. Indeed, I am. After all these years, Tony still has you picking up the dry cleaning. I do anything and everything that Mr. Stark requires, including occasionally taking out the trash. Will that be all? <laughs> it's great dialogue because, in
1: a different tone, it would mean a completely different thing. Yes, but they're like Leslie Bibb and Gwyneth Paltrow are playing it great, where you can tell they both know what's really going on in this scene, but they're saying what they have to say to pretend to be the person they're supposed to be in this.
0: Scene. Re- yes,
1: exactly. You know, she's a reporter. She's uh, the assistant, and so they're playing at those parts, even though they both know better.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a great reaction to it, especially because I mean. You get a sense that this is probably something that happens frequently at uh, Tony's place and that Pepper has oh, yeah. to deal with it all the time. And so she's ready. You know, she knows how to deal with these people, regardless of what it is they're going to throw her way.
1: Yeah, it's more about um, not in this minute, but how it connects to the next the next couple where I got the feeling that Tony is down there tinkering with the car just because he's waiting for Pepper to kick out his latest like
0: girl. Like, this happens all the time, and he just goes, gets out (laughs) of the room and lets Pepper deal with it. Disappears for a bit. That's an interesting uh, Hmm. thought. I hadn't actually thought about that before as to why he's downstairs. But uh, considering it's 7 a.m. and he's downstairs tinkering, I guess it would make sense. He's like, I'm going to sneak downstairs until she's gone.
1: Does the movie tell us it's 7 a.m.?
0: It does. In the previous minute, when, uh, when she wakes up, Jarvis wakes her up, and by turning the windows on or whatever it is, yeah. Um, and, uh, revealing the and it says it's 7 a.m.
1: And on the script, it says it's 6 a.m. Like it, it has the alarm clock changing from 559 right. to 6. And I'm like, there is no way out those windows it is 6 a.m. in
0: Malibu <laughs> right now. It's way too bright. Right. It's a uh, that's a that's a funny point. Yeah, there's some interesting time differences between the script and between what we end up uh, with in the film. And I I don't know if there's any particular reason for that, but some of it makes me think that it was um, for later as they're figuring out all of the stuff as far as Tony flying around the world um, for scenes that are coming up. And, you know, just little things to try timing it out better. But it's the only thing I can yeah. think of because they are such minor changes. It's like, why why would they change it from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m.? Well, yeah. And part of the thing I saw with the 6 a.m., like
1: uh, I think the script says a clock changing from 5.59 a.m. to 6 is like before I was in podcasting, I was doing a blog that started with Groundhog Day. And I almost took that as more of a reference to this is what happens like every day with Tony. Uh-huh. He's got a new girl in his bedroom. He goes and tinkers while Pepper deals with it. And it's like this recurring pattern for this playboy
0: character that he is. I just think that is such a a, a great point. And I love the idea, which is funny, tying it into Groundhog Day and the change from 5.59 to 6 a.m. with the clock. And now I'm just picturing that slow-mo of the clock, you know, the the top half of the nine swinging down to make the the 6 a.m. Um, on the clock as she <laughs> as she does this it's just here she is again another another girl in tony's bed yep this is a we are in tony's living room there's uh some mm-hmm. interesting uh, uh this the, I, I don't know what I would call this thing that Jarvis is reacting to but it is like a it's basically like a sc- security sensor I guess a oh, little thing yeah. on the wall yeah um it's interesting that it actually reacts to her. Before she touches it, like it has a a sensor, like a proximity sensor. So all the lights illuminate as she lifts her hand. And then when she touches it, it's, it's clearly recognizing that she's not the person who's allowed to be touching it. Yes. Jarvis is watching. Exactly. Very interesting. In the script, she's actually still in his bedroom and she's actually looking at opening his closet. And here, I guess, I I don't know exactly what room this is. It looks like it's the main, I mean, all of his rooms have big windows, but it looks like the main like
1: living room, like entryway.
0: When we're looking at the back uh, or the reverse shot, as she's walking toward Pepper, it looks like it's just a corner like like you're just going around the side of the house so it makes me think that it's not actually um accessing anything but he's just telling her she doesn't have authorization to access that panel and do anything with it yeah that's the sense that i got from it. she doesn't have authorization to
1: access anything
0: right get dressed get out except the cab that's waiting outside yeah uh, anything else upstairs? Uh, well, on actually on the note of the cab uh,
1: in the script, Christine asks for a cab before Pepper tells her there's a car waiting. So it like changes the balance of their like power struggle between the two of them a little bit. Is it she asks
0: her to call her a cab she also asks her to get her coffee. right, right. Very much looking at Pepper like a secretary and kind of treating her that way. yeah,
1: but the, but the movie version lets us know that Pepper is not what Christine is treating her as right. Yeah. So they had to get rid of that a little.
0: It, it's a nice little moment, and I, I like that, especially because the way that Christine approaches it is: "Look, Tony wanted me to stay for breakfast, but I've got to get a jump on the day. Call me a cab, would you?" As if, yeah. as you know, who knows if Tony really wanted her to stay for breakfast? But I like that she throws that in there. You know, it's just kind of a protective way. Like, I, I need to get going. Well, especially if you, if you jump, I mean, jumping ahead to next minute to come backward.
1: He's supposedly three hours late for his flight. Right. So was he supposed to get up at 4 a.m. and he has this girl in his room? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, so I don't think he wanted her to stay for breakfast. But, yeah, it's a, it's a good excuse. Maybe he does that sometimes.
0: You, you never know. And it makes you it's wonder. An easy claim. Yeah, right. I mean, it seems like getting out of the house to actually go catch a plane is another good reason to just, you know, avoid the girl. Yeah. And not have to deal with any of this. So, why did he have to go down to the basement to tinker? Yeah. Why doesn't he just leave? Yeah.
1: You know, leave her a note, you know, and money for a cab or something. Right. Right. And just go. Instead, he leaves Pepper to deal with it because that's his way.
0: You know, it's funny in a previous, uh, in, in the previous minute when she wakes up in the bedroom, when she, it's funny because when she wakes up, there is like a, a thing of champagne sitting next to her, like, which wasn't there when we see them the night before. So it makes me think that I'm like, did, Pepper come in and leave that there for her, like in the morning when she wakes up. Like what? What is Pepper doing? I mean, there has to be other people working at Tony's place. It can't be Pepper doing all of this. I feel like there's probably a maid. Well, he's got Jarvis. Well, there's Jarvis, but somebody's like putting the champagne out, and I just I have a hard time picturing. Pepper is the one who's creeping into his bedroom while she's sleeping to leave some champagne (laughs) by the side of the bed.
1: It's one of those robots he's got a name for down in the garage. (laughs) (laughs) Just comes up with a champagne bottle and leaves it next to the bed every time there's a girl
0: there. Oh, so funny. Uh, anything else upstairs, or shall we head down no, we with can, Pepper? we can go down into the garage. So we leave the upstairs, uh, the living room of Tony's place, and we go down into Tony's workshop. This is uh, the first time we get to step into this room in the film, um, and we see Tony busy at work listening to... Uh, institutionalized by Suicidal Tendencies. Suicidal tendencies.
1: And it's a great cut too.
0: Yeah, it is. It really is, is. Will that be
1: all? And then straight to like loud music.
0: It's a nice transition and that's something that we've been noticing quite a bit with John Favreau that he really proves himself as an editor. He has a fantastic understanding of how to transition from one scene to the next. A lot of times he does it for humor and uh, a lot of times it's just pure efficiency and this is just a great cut that gives you a nice bullet point on the end of that last scene and Mm -hmm. we jump right into tony's head with this place that he is where he's kind of in work mode now yeah because we haven't seen him in work mode yet so far all we've seen is i mean we've kind of seen him uh, no i wouldn't even say work mode was when he was talking to the guys i mean it was at the beginning of the film he was talking to the soldiers but that was really just kind of casual conversation trying to break the ice um I, I think or largely it's his PR mode. Yeah, right. He's Not very much mechanical mode. Exactly. And now this is him using this brain. that Supposedly Tony has Tony is busy at work on a 1932 Ford flathead roadster, also known as the hot rod. This particular one, it was actually John Favreau's own car, car
1: bro, right? Yeah. And was written in the script specifically.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So he like knew he was going to use his car. Well and it's funny cuz later he regretted it when he realized that they were actually because yeah, they took it apart <laughs> to tear it apart <sighs> And have Robert Downey Jr. going through all the different parts and pieces. Are you much of a gearhead? No, no. But when I do these things, I look up the details. So I
1: noted the cars and all the stuff.
0: I am not a gearhead at all, but I was looking through blueprints of of engines for uh, roadsters, uh, trying to figure out what is Tony doing here. And my understanding is it looks like he's checking out the cylinder head. Yeah, with the round.
1: Yeah, that would make sense.
0: Looking at all the different parts.
1: <laughs> I don't know engines, but that makes perfect sense. Well,
0: and it makes sense because then <laughs> Jarvis does after he kind of does the the scan on it says the compression in cylinder 3 appears to be low. So, right, that would right. make sense that that's that's the issue that's going on here. So, these cars also are known as deuces or flatties. And uh, this particular one is is quite a butte, uh, although we don't get to see much of it other than the engine, which is a butte in and of itself because I mean, I was watching YouTube videos of people with uh, roadster uh, engines roaring and just kind of playing around with them. And there are some really messy roadster engines that, that are out there well yeah this is 1932 yeah yeah there's gonna be some bad ones out there there are a lot of bad ones this one is even people who took care of it yeah if they didn't take care of it enough that's a long time it really is this one is pristine i mean these parts look brand spanking new so obviously yeah. it's just another sign that tony stark has a lot of money and
1: that's before we even see the other cars in the garage
0: right exactly else the screen that uh tony's looking at <laughs> has so much information on it. It does. I find that this is going to be something that is going to be interesting to watch over the course of this film, to look at these screens. To see if the screens make sense. To see if they make sense <laughs> and to just realize how much stuff is on them and and just wonder how much of it is Tony actually absorbing. And just the quantity of stuff on these makes me wonder if there is uh, like some photographic uh, memory kind of stuff going on with him where he's he can take this in much quicker than the average person can. I
1: think that's the impression we're supposed to get. Like he asked for the exploded view from Jarvis, but it feels like he already knows what he's looking for. Right. Like the way he says it and the way he looks at the parts. Uh, what did I, how did I write it in my notes? Uh, Downey has a way of looking at the engine that feels both like he's really comfortable with them and has no idea what he's actually looking at. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's almost like it's not an engine that he's seeing. Like he sees, underneath it or something
0: well it's like he sees it in exploded view it's like his brain pieces it that way and he's just using jarvis's representation of that to see where the issue is right some of the information on the screen was weird for me because i mean
1: already said i'm not a gearhead like i don't know what a duty cycle is and it's apparently it's at 16 i don't know what that means
0: yeah gear ratio of 492 i don't know (laughs) <laughs> it's so hard to tell what all of those different things. Yeah. It's like, I'm wondering if these numbers make sense, Yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I could just, I could see what they were, but I could, don't know if they make sense. Well, the top one, I can't say it's a fuel, something fuel, something minus yeah, four, it's blurry,
1: but it's a minus four.
0: But again, the fact that Favreau himself is uh, a fan of cars and yeah. this is his own car. I'd like to think right. that the, they had the team that put this uh, monitor on, display together, uh, just kind of throw some stuff in there that would make sense. I'd like to think that. At least on the readable stuff, because so much of the smaller writing is I'm not even sure it's
1: writing. It's so hard to read. Yeah,
0: it's like, and, and that's the stuff. It's like, is Tony actually looking at that? Like all the text that's running up the back of it? <laughs> like, yeah. Or is that just, is that just the computer doing work? Jarvis is pumping a bunch of other stuff in there. I don't know, but it's Jarvis's thoughts. Yeah, it's so tiny, though. So we have uh, Pepper. She walks in to uh to the room here and mm-hmm. this is um she's on the phone we don't know who with but clearly she has things worked out uh with all of his stuff so as soon as she walks in the music <laughs> shuts off
1: i love that he well it's not here
0: but he suggests she turned the music
1: off I'm like so she hit a code and turned the music off by entering through the door right. <laughs> Like how much
0: control does she have? I I'd like to think that she has a lot more control than he realizes. Because <laughs> it's it's hard to see it exactly, but she, it looks like she's just pushing like a number keypad, like five digits,
1: not like not any extra buttons or anything. To but maybe it just she has it set so
0: that when she comes in, music turns off, so he'll pay attention, right? Because that's what the, that's what she needs. She well, and she's on the phone, so she clearly needs quiet. So I I right. would uh, I'd like to think that she and Jarvis. Have an understanding. <laughs> <laughs> They're used to it. Tony's going to have his own stuff going on, so we have adjustments when we need Right, them. exactly there's uh, not much left in this minute. No. Do you have any other little thoughts here on what's going on here?
1: We sort of touched on it, but I loved a line from the script where a, it describes the workshop as being like the chaos inside Tony's head. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because uh, we don't see it yet. But like he has a picture of his dad with this same car and he has all of his cars and his robot things in the background. Right. But he's focused in on one little thing
0: with the music going. Like, this is his brain. It's constantly multitasking. And that's that's actually a good point. I like that in the script, this car is one that he worked on with his dad. Right. I think that there's something about that. The only bit we have of his father is the uh, elements um, of the magazines in which he was in, in the montage that played at the award ceremony. Right. So right. we have a little bit of that history. And we know that they worked together, but that's it. And so it's nice seeing that they had that bond. The bond revolved around this particular car. And now uh, he is still tinkering with this car. It's just, There's an interesting element there. Like he still holds that relationship close that he had with his dad.
1: Yeah, which will become a bigger thing in later movies, but it's good. Yeah, it's nice that it's already in there just as a little.
0: They don't even comment on it. It's just there. Exactly. Right. The um, and I should mention, since you threw that out there about the workshop, um, the concept artist Ryan Minerding, um, when he was working on the ideas for this, John Favreau gave him the marching orders. He said, "Think dirty garage," and that <laughs> was that was what he kind of worked with, trying to kind of come up with uh, the look for this thing as he developed it. And yes. uh, you know, I we don't see a lot of it yet, like like uh, you pointed out. But I feel like we're on the right track if he's already working on a car in the in the workshop.
1: This almost would work as like an opening scene as well because we're close on his face as he's dealing with this machinery close up and then
0: it yeah. goes back. And it's interesting because we've been talking on this show already quite a bit about the introduction of tony stark and how they chose to introduce him there are a lot of ways that you can introduce a character like tony in a film and this would have been a great way to start him off as the intelligent the super intelligent uh tinkerer kind of the guy who has the scientific mind who can do all of this stuff and figure all this out. They opted to go with the direction that was much more the playboy the um, the alcoholic uh, and, and they really made him much more playful and there is definitely both of those elements to Tony. I just think it is interesting that we're 11 minutes into the film before we actually see him using the scientific side of his brain.
1: Yeah, we know it's there but it's the first time we see it.
0: Yeah. This is a very different Tony than the one we met at the casino. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think that's probably it for this minute, um, Robert. Yeah. Do you have any uh, plugs for anything that uh, that you're doing, working on? Um, well, you can check out uh, Michael Myers'
1: minutes. Well, on, obviously on your podcatchers of choice, but on Twitter, you follow uh, at Myers Minute. And on Instagram, which is actually the fun one, I do a lot of pictures for it, uh, just Michael Myers Minute. And then the one we were talking about before is Dave Made a Minute, which is just Dave Made a Minute on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, or your podcatcher of choice.
0: Fantastic. I am uh, thrilled to have you on the show uh, today. It's a lot of fun to chat with you about this uh, particular minute, a lot of good stuff. So thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today's show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash The Next Real. Until next time, true believers.